us. So, all right. Don't be calling me a W up here. All right. Uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer one more time. Uh, Father, we do thank you for our time together. We thank you that we can laugh and have a good time. And we thank you for uh, just the opportunity to eat together over the weekend. What a great time that was. And we just really pray as we look in your word that you might feed us there as well. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I was thinking about the meal last night. In fact, not last, only last night, but the night before. And I was thinking about uh, two Jewish ladies. I don't, I'm not sure if they were Jewish or they were just married into a Jewish family, but they lived on the east side of New York. And sometimes within Jewish families, they, they really have a competitive energy within uh, their family, extended family. And so they were kind of bragging about each one, Mrs. Spinelli and Mrs. Goldberg, about how they could overfeed their dinner guests. Uh, that those who would come to them just would just consume just volumes of food. And so one with great pride said, you know, when people leave my home, uh, they're all doubled over when they walk home. Uh, that was Mrs. Spinelli and Mrs. Goldberg came back and said, from your house, they're able to walk. <laughs> and so if those of you are here, there was plenty of food and uh, there might be some leftovers uh, that we'll give you in the fellowship time afterwards. Be sure to, to get over there. But not only do we want to feed you physical food and uh, fill you to you, you want no more or you just wish you could come back the next night to get more. We also want to feed you from God's word. And really God's word speaks to us now and it will continue to speak to us. And there are things that are right there on the surface for us to get, and then there's some things that we can dig deeper for. And as we look at this morning in our series, Questions Asked and Answered, uh, th- as we look through the whole New Testament, we'll, we'll find that there's some things there that God wants us to pick up right there on the surface. And then there's some things He wants us to dig deeper towards. If you read through Second Peter this week, you'll recognize there's some things in there that, that uh, are rather challenging. In fact, there's some things there about that place of destination for those who choose to rebel against God. In fact, there are some people there already, particularly created beings by God, the angelic force. And, and some, because their rebellion was so heinous in God's eyes, uh, they've been already put in a place of judgment. And the Bible talks about that place of judgment will have some heat there, and some places are going to be hotter than others. And some places, some people have already been sent to, and the key, they've been locked up, and the key has been thrown away. And so as we think about this issue of coming to a place like this and hearing things about God, it's not just one of many things that we could spend some time contemplating about. But if what we talk about is true, this is what life is is really all about, and we need to be prepared for the next chapter. I've entitled the message this morning, The, The Need to Know. And when I think of that phrase, I think of that Tom Cruise, uh, Top Gun uh, movie, that line, I feel the need for speed. And sometimes uh, w- when we think about learning, some of us aren't really feeling that need. We don't think it's that crucial for us. There's other things we'd rather do. But as we think about what God has to say, this, this is a need to know basis for all of us. So this morning, I invite you to turn your Bibles to 2 Peter. If you're not, know, if you're not sure where 2 Peter is, uh, find the last third of the Bible, uh, last part of the Bible, hang a left, a few books, and you'll run into it. On my Bible, it's on page 1,952. Uh, but there might be a Bible near you, but there's also some verses in your outline this morning. But go ahead and turn to your outline. And, and we're going to race through a few things this morning. As God speaks to us about the need to know. 
Now, it's interesting. We have institutions, universities, as well as other types of schools that, that really promote us to come so that we might learn. In the last number of years, it's interesting. There has been a, a drift where the more you know, uh, the more you know that you don't know. And some people will say it is the height of pride to be able to believe that certain things in life are true, that everything should be open for debate. Now, I think just about everything should be open for debate, but I think there is a conclusion in the debate that, that certain things can be known for certain. And, and when God speaks, even more than when E.F. Hutton speaks, that we need to listen and believe that what he says is true. But as we think about knowing, sometimes we think about knowing in, in, in a way that it's, uh, it's not something that impacts our life. As I was studying through Second Peter this week, it was a challenge because there's really so much in there, even though it's only three chapters long. And I was trying to think, well, how can I summarize the main message out of this book? Well, there's a word that's repeated over and over and over and over again. And hopefully it might not surprise you, but that word that it's repeated over and over and over again is the word no. In fact, 16 times some kind of derivative of this word no is used. There are a couple of Greek words that are translated no, and then there's some intensive prepositions that are put on one of those words. But really, the word no is used in two different ways. There are two ways to know in life. One is to know by understanding it and experiencing it. And the other way to know is simply by hearing it, but not living it. And, and that's used in both ways, not only in Peter's writings to us, but also other parts of not only the New Testament, the Old Testament. Some people hear it, and they think just by hearing it, they get it, and it, and it matters. Just hearing the facts, just being able to take the test and put down the right answers doesn't really mean anything. If you, if you have have heard truths in any parts of life, but you're not living it, you really, you really don't know it. On the other hand, if, if you come to the point where you understand it, and now you're putting it into practice and experiencing it, that's what the Bible seeks for you in terms of, of knowing truth and even more so knowing God. As Becky shared her testimony uh, last night, it was so powerfully put that she began to hear about the message of Jesus. And, and then there came a point in her life where she had to say, do, do I really know it? And, and then in that journey, am I really living it out? Uh, that's, that's the passion of God for us, that we don't just hear it and then forget about it. Th that we understand it and then we experience it and then passionately we want to follow after it. And who better writer to communicate that to us than Peter? Because so often he would hear Jesus say something. He would say, I'm, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And then he would just mess up tremendously because he didn't get it. So this morning, I, I want to share some things very simply. We're not going to look at all 16 no's in here, but I kind of try to summarize them in three categories. And we're going to look at some crucial things for us to know. So first of all, what is it that we tremendously and powerfully and most importantly need to know first of all we need to know this know where grace peace and fullness of life come from 
Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. It's in your outline this morning. Peter writes, in fact, he wrote some of these same words in his first letter, which shows to us, again, this is important things to know because he's repeating it. He says, grace and peace be not just given to you, but multiplied to you in the knowledge. And that's the key word. You might want to circle the word knowledge, even in the verse that we have in your outline this morning. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. And then he goes on and says, well, how can I really experience this grace and peace? He says, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the what's the next word there? Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Now, we live in a country that in many parts of the world is considered a Christian nation. In fact, there are times I've had in traveling when you when you go through and put your passport in front of people and they begin a conversation and they they'll sometimes talk about your life and and they'll even talk about your faith. Oh, Oh, you must be a Christian. And I'm thinking, man, that halo was shining pretty brightly there. That glow that I came out of, you know, in that time with God. And, and, and then I go on, hey, how did you know? And I, I just met the person. And I'm thinking, well, I'm really more spiritual than I thought I was. And, and then they simply say, well, it's because you're an American. And are all Christians, are all Americans Christian? And I, and I, you know, I have opportunity there to kind of explain the real message of Christianity. But it's just assumed that if you live in a nation in which predominantly the at least the public religion of Americans is Christianity, that everyone is automatically a Christian. But that's not true. Where you experience God's grace and peace and life is through the knowledge of him. And the knowledge is more than being aware of Jesus name. And knowing a, a few facts about Jesus that, you know, Christmas, Christmas, what's about Christmas? Oh, yeah, that's the birth of Jesus. Easter, what happened to Easter? Around Easter, I think he died and, and then he was put in a tomb and supposedly three days later he rose from the dead. You, you can know the facts but not really know the facts by understanding how it applies to your life and then embracing it fully and completely. And that's why over and over he, he uses the word no. No. Really, no. You must have this knowledge. You, this is all about knowing and, and know and have you known and, and know and know. And you've you got to know this. And it wasn't the superficial, just hearing it, but not living it. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't just being aware of certain facts. It was the idea of understanding it and then experiencing it and then believing that, that, that God will then fully give you His grace, which is His help, His provision for life. His peace, which, mits, which means in the midst of all that goes on in life, you, you experience His presence in a deep way. That His life, that the life that Jesus talked that would be eternal, but not only eternal, that it would be abundant. That God gives us not only a, a quantitative life that lasts forever with him, but it's a qualitative life that, that comes into relationship with the living God, that you, you're able now to be all that God created you to be in the beginning and now experience it forever. But how does that happen? It doesn't happen by chance. It doesn't happen by living in a certain country. It, it doesn't happen by being related to other people who believe it or having friends who believe it. Or, or being aware of certain truths, it, it means that you've embraced it fully and completely and you know it. 
We're not going to touch about this, but later on in your life groups this week, as well as if you want to do a personal study, we, we encourage you to wrestle with some of the other words in this whole first point of we need to know him. He goes on, verse 4, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And that simply says when you become a Christian, you leave the old life and, be, and you now embrace a new life. But listen to these verses, verses 5 through, through 9, uh, particularly 5 through 8. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence and giving your very best, add to your faith. Now, I, I need to jump in here just for a moment. He's not saying that we need more than faith, but he says once you do believe, it doesn't end there. The journey doesn't stop. Again, if, if you heard Becky's story last night, it, it wasn't that once she prayed a prayer, you know, everything was easy then. It was, in fact, it got even harder afterwards. And then learning to live it out. Well, you, you add to that faith once you have faith. Virtue. Or moral excellence, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, the godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we don't experience all that God seems to tell us that we're supposed to experience in the scriptures because we've, we've left our faith at the front door, the first step. And we need to realize that the faith that we have is to be lived out. And it's to be with all diligence, with everything that we have, because there's nothing better than this. And if we're not growing our faith, you can even question, do we have faith? And if we're not growing our faith, we, we should not be surprised that our, our lives can be described as kind of barren in the Christian life. The characteristics that God wants us to experience, his love and his joy and his peace and his patience and his kindness, his goodness. His faithfulness, his, his gentleness, and his self-control. We don't have that because we're not really knowing him deeply by, by increasing our knowledge of him. And the reason this is emphasized, and again, I want to emphasize the difference between just being aware of certain facts but not living it out. Because though there are games entitled Bible Trivia, where you can learn all kinds of things so you can impress your friends if you're playing that game in a, in a home environment or whatever it might be. The Bible is not to just to be a book in which we fill up our minds with information. We fill up our minds with information so God can transform us. The Bible says that, the, that knowledge by itself simply brings pride to us. It puffs us up. That love is that which edifies. But as we grow in the knowledge of Him... Then our faith is lived out and we experience it deeply. So number one, what should we know? We ought to know that, that the grace and peace in the life of God is only found in the knowledge of Him. Secondly, no certain truths are, being, are worth being reminded about. Look at what he says in 2 Peter Chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. And if you look up the other references, he, he has this same theme throughout his book. He says, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I'm in this tent, to stir you up by, what's the next word there? Reminding you. 
knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Now, he also says those same words almost verbatim a little later on that book. And he he just simply tells them that as I'm teaching you in this letter one more time, some of the things I'm telling you is not new. It's just things you need to be reminded of. As we think about God's word, the God's word is not here just as a sake of novelty. Is there some esoteric thing out there that I can hear about that nobody else knows? It's things that, again, pertain to life with God. And he says, I I want you to remind you of these truths. We've talked about this, used this illustration many times as far as the most humbling thing about any speaker, whether it's a preacher or any other speaker, is that after you leave this place, you're going to forget rather rapidly most of what I have to say. Now, hopefully it lingers a little longer than just a few fleeting moments, okay? Uh, I had experienced this uh, last Sunday as, as uh, we were uh, in our home and there were, we were talking just about the day, it's toward the end of the day, and, and one of the persons who lived in my home said, Hey, I really enjoyed your message. I got a lot out of it. Now, sometimes I'm a little bit more gentler and kinder, but, but normally when people ask me and I have any time, I say, okay, well, then tell me what you learned. Guess what I heard next? What I'm hearing right now. Silence. It was just gone, all right? Now, this person was in their 20s, okay, so we're, we're not talking about a senior moment, maybe a Rick Perry moment, but I don't know what you might be. But, you know, you can lose it pretty fast, right? And, in, and is, if that's true now, it's true in Peter's day as well. There's certain things need to be reminded. Remember last week? Seriously? Do you, do you remember last week? Seriously? <laughs> you know, last week, the message was given to you by the number seven and the letter... Yes, I seriously, there are certain things that that God wants us to know that that he does want us to be saved. All right. You know, seriously, he he wants us to recognize we have got something to do. He wants us to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Remember we talked about that. And then he wants to remind us, particularly when we're feeling kind of down about ourselves, that seriously, that we need to know that we're special in God's eyes, that he's made us a royal priesthood. He has chosen us to be part of his own possession. Seriously, sometimes when we don't want to, he needs to remind us that, that we need to submit to people in authority, to, to people who are leading us. Uh, seriously, he, he wants us to shut other people up. You know, not by putting our hand over their mouth, but living certain ways that show that God's living within us. And they have to recognize that something has happened to us because God is living in us and our lives show it. And then seriously, he, he wants us to recognize we should not be surprised when, when suffering happens, when life is not always easy. And seriously, he, he wants us to know that he's called us to speak up. Remember that verse you're all working on this week and this month? 1 Peter 3.15. But, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Always being ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and reverence. You know, my responsibility on each Sunday is not necessarily always give you something new. But to remind you always about what is most important. So Peter, he he says, I want you to remind you. And it's interesting 
historically at this point in his life, he, he's just about to lose his life. He, he now knows the clock is ticking even more profoundly in terms of how much sand is left in his, his determination of life. In fact, he uses that creative language. I'm, I'm about to lose this tent and put on another tent and to be in the presence of God. So as we think about what we need to know, we need to, to know that, first of all, where does grace and peace and life come? It comes from the knowledge of God. And second, we need to be reminded of those truths that are so life-changing. And then thirdly, and this is really, as some have said, this is really the theme of this book. And as I gave you seven S's last week as we looked at 1 Peter, really I, could have met, I really could have summarized that in one major theme in that book because God announces to us that, that we are going to suffer at times. And it ought to cause our faith to grow stronger rather than weaker. But the suffering sometimes that we experience in life, it's the challenge from the outside. And that's really what fierce Peter was. It was the persecution from the outside that was causing some of them to want to run from their faith. But in 2 Peter, what he does is he says, now I want you to understand, it's not always the enemy from without, but also can be the enemy from within. And so he speaks to this truth in terms of our walk with God. It's, is no, some things are true and some things are false. And he begins to speak to them about false teachers. Those who are in positions of, of responsibility within the church at times. And, and they're not speaking to the truth. And then they break off and they form other groups trying to persuade people to leave God's church to go to their church. Let's look at what he says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. He says, knowing this first, again, that, that whole idea, you need, to, you need to understand this and then experience this in terms of applying it to your life. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, Where, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And, and this is a specific... Uh, challenge or warning if you hear teachers saying that jesus is not coming again don't listen to him run from them and and basically the idea was if he hasn't come before he's not coming in the future that that's that's just strange just because something hasn't happened doesn't mean it's not going to happen right but then he goes on uh, earlier in second peter chapter two verses one and two and he says this but there were also false prophets among the people that's the the threat from within even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And, and many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Now, he, he uses kind of colorful language there to simply say, you need to understand that everything in life that you hear is not true. Some of it is false. And that is true not only what you hear on various news stations around our world and in our world. It doesn't mean it also refers to what things you read in magazines or papers or books on the radio, talk hosts, whatever it might be. Everything you hear is not necessarily true. Some of it's false. But it's also true in what you hear spiritually, even when people use the Bible. Just because people use the Bible does not mean that what, how they're using it is in a true way. It can be in a false way. 
Well, how do we discern that? Actually, uh, in our life group this past week, I was talking to one of uh, uh, our members in the group on Tuesday, and he was reading a book. And I go, hey, was, it, was it this book or was it that book? And, and, and so I kind of just struck my mind. I want to share with you a few things that we ought to recognize about false teaching, particularly within the church. There, there's all kinds of spiritual messages going out. But there are certain things in which people use the Bible and can lead people astray. And Peter warned them back, in his day, and he warns us today, how, how do you know if someone is uh, teaching you that which is false and not that which is true? Are there any characteristics of false teaching? Well, let's look at it this morning. What are some characteristics? And I, I took this from a book written by McDowell and Stewart, a couple of guys that I went to seminary. One I went to seminary with and one I, I had met a number of times. And I kind of changed it a little bit. But I want to give you eight characteristics of, of people you need to, to be aware of and know so you don't go down a path in which people are deceiving you. First of all, you can, you can test people within the, what looks like the Christian world that what they're about to teach you is, is going to lead you astray if what they're giving you is new truth and new interpretations of Scripture. I, I want to say right up front, if you think I'm giving you any origi- anything original on Sunday, you are, falsely de- you are grossly deceived. That, that is not my goal and that's not my... Gift or ability, I, I, I have no desire to tell you something no one else has ever said. That's not where I'm coming from. My, my whole responsibility is to explain what God has already given, and I use all kinds of other resources to make sure that what I'm saying is just not my opinion, but is really an accurate presentation of what God has said. And even then, I'll say it now if I don't say it later, if, if somehow what I say on a Sunday morning or some other type of uh, meeting where I am leading a, a study of the Scriptures and you don't agree, you have the right to disagree, okay? My only responsibility, you don't have to amen in that bad, okay, you don't have to, <laughs> is, uh, is my, my whole responsibility is simply dispense the truth and explain the truth. I'm not supposed to give you new truth. Now, l- let me illustrate those who uh, and, and have done that in the past. For instance, th- there's a rather large group of people that consider themselves to be Christians and they promote themselves as Christians, both publicly in person and at your door and in media outlets. And sometimes they will respond defensively when we say that what they believe is not true Christianity. But the reason we say that is because what they have brought is new truth, not an explanation of old truth or real truth. Let's look at the Church of the, of the Latter-day Saints, or what we call the Mormon Church. Let me just read from their own, own writings. This is what the Mormons believe. This is from their Journal of Discourses. Every intelligent person under the heavens that does not when informed, acknowledge that Joseph Smith Jr. is a prophet of God, is in darkness, and is imposed to us and to Jesus in his kingdom on the earth. What does the Christian world know about God? Their answer is nothing. Why, so far as the things of God are concerned, they are the various fools, they are neither God nor the things of God. Now, either they're right or we're right. We can't both be right. They're bringing in new truth. In fact, they are attacking Orthodox Christianity by saying that we are fools if we don't believe that Joseph Smith Jr. was a prophet. 
you know, reading from Joseph Smith's own words from the Pearl of Great Price, I was answered that I must join none of them when he heard this experience from the angel, for they were all wrong. And the personage who addressed me said that all their creeds were an abomination in his sight, that those professors were all corrupt, that they draw near to me with their lips, with their hearts are far from me. They teach for doctrines, the communications of men, having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. So Joseph Smith, when he got this revelation that he believes he experienced, the first message was an attack on Orthodox Christianity, saying that we were all fools, that what we believed were, was false doctrine. Basically what they believed is for 18 centuries that there was no true Christianity. And it didn't really come back on the scene until they got the, the real truth, the new truth. So as we think about being careful about what we really know and understand, we need to understand there are certain things that are true, but certain things are false. And particularly if they are in opposition to each other, it, it demands the obvious. One is true and one is false. And you need, to, you need to wrestle with which one is true and which one is false. But there cannot be a joining of the two. Now, this is not a political statement. This is, this is not related to whether who you vote for for president. That should be dealt on issues that you believe the country ought to go toward. But in terms of what true Christianity is, there can't be both. All right? So new truth, as well as any new interpretations, will draw people away from what is the truth about God. Secondly, non-biblical sources of authority. This, again, is just a, a red flag. It's a clear flag to, to throw up in terms of, is what I'm hearing true or is it false? Friends, the Bible, uh, the, the book, of the, if you have someone knocking at your door, often they will bring a Bible to you, okay, and they will speak out of it. But then as you go a little bit further with them, you recognize that they believe not only the Bible, but also the Book of Mormon, the Pearl Great Price, and Doctrine of Covenants. Those have equal authority. When that happens then that's something you need to run away from. If you have Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door, okay, uh, they, will, they will have their authority from the watchtower. That who, that's the source that needs to interpret the Scriptures for them. If you, if you look at, for instance, a group um, that called the Christian Science Church, uh, they will use the Bible as well. But they believe that the Bible can only be trusted as... as, as in relationship to the, the teachings of Mary ba- Baker Eddy. You look at the Uni- Unification Church, which is, doesn't get as much publicity as it used to, but Reverend Sung Young Moon and his writings, The Divine Principle. Okay. They use other writings other than the Bible to give authority to what they have to say. So as we think about the threat from, from not only without, but also from within that use Christianity as a takeoff, you need to recognize, first of all, if they begin with new truth and new interpretations, you need to have a red flag. If they, if they, in fact, I would run from them. But secondly, if they have other sources of authority. Thirdly, they have another Jesus. And, of course, if you're, you're going to pick one of these, I'd pick this one. When people begin to bring you another Jesus, then this tells you right from the start, this is not someone to follow. And often they'll try to hide a little bit what they believe. They'll, they'll say some, some very positive things about Jesus. But if you go a little bit further, you begin to recognize that their Jesus is not our Jesus. 
For, in, for instance, the Church of the Latter-day Saints, and let me, this has nothing to do with being mean-spirited toward people who believe differently than we do. I have friends that are Mormons. I've had friends that were Christian scientists. I have friends in a variety of different religious pursuits. However, when we speak to them, when I speak to them, I have to speak to the truth to them in love and at least point out very clearly that what they believe is not what true Christianity presents itself in the Bible. For instance, the Church of Latter-day Saints, they believe, first of all, that there are not just, there's not just one God, there are many gods. And so Jesus is, is really a product of God the Father was, who cohabitated with some angelic mother who produced a spirit child named Jesus, but not only Jesus, but also Lucifer. So in many ways, what Jesus is is a spirit brother of, of Lucifer. And he is just one of many gods. Every male Mormon is eventually is going to become a god. So that Jesus is so far from us. Basically, what Jehovah's Witnesses believe is that Jesus is an emanation or an angelic being from God. And most often they, they refer to him as uh, some representative, maybe of, of Michael, the archangel. And so as you begin to, to understand what is the truth, you recognize some things are true, some things are false, and you need to wrestle which was true and which is false. And if they have another Jesus, this is a place where you're saying... What they believe, no matter how much they talk about, they love Jesus. They love a different Jesus. Fourthly, a, a rejection of Orthodox Christianity, particularly the Trinity. And this is, this is where we need to understand that God has revealed himself. The, the reason we believe in what's called the Trinity or the triune explanation of who God is. There's one God within the one God. There are three persons, God, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit. And particularly Jehovah Witnesses, they come out very strong. Charles Russell writes, there is no authority in the word of God for the doctrine of the Trinity of the Godhead. And all I say is look at John chapter one and look at Genesis chapter one. If people depart from these clear teachings, this is a representation of false doctrine. How about changing theology? Interesting as you look back in the history of a number of these groups, uh, they, they've had to change some things because it wasn't, wasn't working. For instance, Jehovah's Witness, for a while, they would ban vaccinations and blood transfusions. They've now changed from that. It's not very healthy. A lot of their people were, were dying off, so they changed that. Uh, the Mormon church, there are a few things they had to change. One, for PR purposes, they were very racist, and there were certain... The colors of skin that could not go a certain level into their, in their hierarchy of faith. And so they changed that doctrine. Probably most familiar with us, they recognized that they thought if, if one woman was good, then two or three or four or five or six or ten was better, all right? And, and so when polygamy was, was really rampant with them, it was going strong until the United States came in and said, we're going to wipe you out. And they said, I guess we'll change that doctrine. And if you look at those who teach truth, uh, they don't have to change their theology. Because it's authoritative. It's true from the very beginning. But how about this one? How about domineering leadership? Domineering leadership. This is, this is probably as alarming as anything else as people are led astray into false groups. 
they are, they are attracted and brought in by charismatic individuals who maybe initially meet some felt needs. Uh, they do some charitable acts. They, they give you a purpose and a direction. And, and then they give you answers to every part of your life. And they give you rules and regulations. And for a while, they, they work for you. And, and all of a sudden, you're, you're, you're caught up and you're caught in. And we need to recognize that as you look at true Christianity, it's not about the human leader. It's very plain. There's only one head of the church, and the head of the church is who? Christ. We are simply under shepherds. We are simply at his beck and call. And every single leader within the true Christian church can be can be held accountable for anything they say and for anything they do. In fact, we are called to a, a level that if we mess up a little, that we ought to be made more accountable for what we do. And that's not what happens in groups that draw people in. It becomes very hierarchical. It becomes very authoritative. And Jesus, as he talked about leadership, and he talks about leadership in their strong leadership, but as a servant type of leadership. That the leadership will do more than they expect from others. Now, it's interesting. I was, uh, I think we've all probably, whether you're a sports fan or not, have probably heard the whole Penn State, you know, fiasco. And, and there's there been so much discussion about how could that happen. And, and I, I'm, not, I'm not here to make a statement about what things should have been done for those who were involved at various levels. And that's, that's the difficulty now. There's so many various levels of, of people who knew and how much did they know and, and how much did they think other people were doing. I'm, I'm not making a comment on that. But I do want to make a comment on how some of those things happen. What, what happens is that when people are in positions of leadership and, and they're put on certain pedestals and, and they're so um, admired to, the, to an unhealthy degree and, and when they're in positions of of, of power and, and you're so afraid somehow to, to speak into their lives, that's when bad things happen or bad things can happen. And, and it doesn't even have to be at the, the level of mystique in which you know, a person like Joe Paterno had. It, it can be just in organizations where there's a lot of authority. Schools can be that way. I mean, we're taught from the very beginning. We taught last week that we ought to be submissive to people in authority. But there's a line that's drawn. And we even talked about that in the, in the life groups last week. When, when man's law supersedes God's law, we, we obey God's law before we obey man's law. And, and when someone's life is at risk, then, man, we, just, we rush to rescue. But I was reading an interesting article this past week. And it was a Stanley Milgram test that was done a number of years ago. In fact, it was in 1961. He was a Yale psychologist. And he went into the the school system, and, and, and he, tr- he wanted to determine just, just how far people in authority would respond to other people in authority in carrying out instructions. And, and so what he did is he, he got two people in a room, and one was, des- and one was a teacher, and another was to be a student. And they, they were probably under the disguise that it was a, a teaching experiment by, done by this researcher and seeing what would motivate people to really learn or or make sure they understood the material. And so 
the teacher was put in one room and a student was put in the other room and the student was to memorize and study certain uh, data and then prepared to, to respond to questions asked by the teacher. Now, the teacher was told, as well as the student, that for every answer that was given right, then they would be applauded. But for every answer they would give that was wrong, they would be given a volt of electricity. And it would start at 15 volts. And it would increase up to 450 volts. Now, unknown to the teacher, the person in the other room was an actor. And what looked like a current that was attached to his chair was not attached. And they began the test, and they began asking questions, and finally the, the student got one wrong and psst, zapped him. All right? And they continued to, through the testing process, get a variety of questions wrong and continued to be zapped. About midway through this zapping experience, it was uh, re- relayed to the, the teacher that, that the, the student has a heart problem. And the test continued went on, and they continued to zap the student until it got up to 450 volts, and the person collapsed. Now, he didn't really collapse because he was acting. The, the test was to say, well, how long would a person who is in a position of authority be involved in a, a simple experiment that went too far? When would they stop? The results were that 65% of the teachers continued all the way to 450 volts. What does that tell you? That tells you, and these teachers, by and large, are just good people. I mean, they went in the teaching profession to help people. But they were in a position of, of authority They were a teacher, and those were the students. The researcher and the administration that put them in this uh, research experiment, they trusted them. They they thought they were good people, and good people don't make bad decisions. And and so I'll just trust them beyond, beyond common sense. And if that could be true in an experiment like that, and it's been repeated many times since then. I have to throw this in for free. I I wasn't going to use that phrase this week. But anyway, um, she asked, well, how was the difference between the men and the women? You know, this was mostly men. Well, they did did throw the experience to women. It was pretty much the same amount. 65% of the women did the same thing as the men did, except they did, I guess, an additional thing. and, And the women would stop and try to talk to each other to say, should we keep on going? The men just went and did it, but the, the women wanted to talk about it a little bit. So the, the potential of them getting out of this predicament was a little bit easier than possibly the men. But, but what this is saying is that when you have someone that for whatever reason you put your trust in, that he or she is the source of authority, he is the one that, or she is the one that, that you need to say yes to almost no matter what, then you're headed for the wrong course of life and path that God is intending to go on. We need to recognize that God is the authority in our life. The scripture is what gives us guidance. And when we go off that mark, that's when we say no. Dominating leadership is a red flag for any group, any church, any religious institution that that draws people 
to try to follow after God. It's the word of God. It's the authority of God that we follow. Just stating the other ones. Anyone teaches a salvation by works and not by God's grace? And really, if you read the bottom line, they all start that way. It's just trust in God. And they say, yeah, but you need to follow the, the practices and teachings and ordinances of our church. You have to be baptized in our church. You have to do these things. In fact, one of the easiest things to do is talk about, well, okay, that's all good. So if I, I don't have to go to your church then. I don't have to become one of you, whatever you are. Well, no, 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 no. If you really got to... No. There, there's a distinction between true Christian churches and, non, and churches that are cults. There are a lot of good churches out there that I would encourage you to go to. You don't have to go to this church. But if you go to a church that said this is the only church, then that's one to be very fearful about because it's filled with false teaching. And then finally, false prophecy. And that's a whole humorous thing. Uh, There are groups that have made multiple, multiple, multiple predictions of Jesus returning, and it hasn't happened yet. What's the point this morning? Uh, Peter, as he gives his last words, and, and he ends this letter with a great phrase. He says, you need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because there is a need to know and a need to grow. And God wants us to be people that are following the truth. Let's pray together. Father, we never do justice to what your inspired writers gave us out of your word. But Father, there's so much that we can just be warned about and carefully instructed for to to live a life that's filled with your grace and your peace and your life. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning that's still, still on that fence with you, might, might they recognize today that, that truly what you said when your son was here, that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Might they today say, say yes to Jesus. Jesus, I want to know you. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life right now. I want to follow you fully and faithfully because you are the truth. Now, Father, as we continue to worship and we give unto you, might you cause us to draw closer and nearer to you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.